Welcome to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob teaches line by line and verse by verse from the Word of God. Now, let's join this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study, already in progress. If you're joining us on the internet now, sometime during the week or later today, we ask that you would uh, join us for our, for our joint reading. Our reading this morning is in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 20. And as we finish out the, the 19th chapter of Matthew today, we'll be covering verses 15 to 30. And I entitled it, The Eye of the Needle. It's that familiar parable that the Lord taught. And there's some wonderful other things that we need to pull out of this, this wonderful parable. But join me now as we read verse 16 through 20 of, of Luke chapter 12. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain man, rich man, brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, dr eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night shall thou soul be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? The things that we strive for, the things that we work towards, the things that we hold dear to our hearts, whose will they be? We can't take them to heaven with us. You know the old adage, you've never seen a, a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. We can't take them with us. And so the things of earth that we strive to possess and partake of are earthly. And they will remain on earth after we leave. And we all leave this earth, and we know that. It comes with the territory. As long as we're alive, we are breathing among our last breaths. And it's not to make light of it. Life will always end in death on this earth. That's the way it was planned. It's not what God originally meant, but it's the way things were planned to be as a consequence of disobedience. God made one commandment for Adam and Eve. Thou shalt not eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil. That didn't work. So he created ten commandments and gave them to Moses. 
the people were still disobedient. And so the Levitical priesthood came along and exponentially expanded it to 213 ordinances of the Levitical law. And they still don't work. They don't keep us from sinning. The consequences, the consequences of sin is death. And that's why death is a sure thing. As much as we sit here breathing today. This rich man is filled with his own pride of the things that he has accumulated. And oh my gosh, there's so much. The crops are so plentiful. My land is so rich and fertile. How am I ever going to store all of these harvests? I don't have enough barns. I'll build more. I'll build more. But who's he saving it for? He's saving it for himself and his household and probably his servants and maybe a few extended family members. It is the story that we have in the parable today. As we look at Matthew chapter 19, we left off at verse 15 last week after Jesus reminded the apostles that the kingdom of heaven is reserved for people who have a childlike faith. Not just children alone, but a childlike faith. People that would trust their Lord for everything as a child trusts his parents for all things. And after he had after he had shared that little parable about blessing the little children, it says he laid hands on them in verse 15 and departed thence. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Well, we know that he's a religious man right off. He understands that there is an eternity. There's an eternal life to attain, an eternal life to desire. And so he asks our, our Lord Jesus, good master, what good things shall I do? It gives us some insight into his understanding of his Jewish faith. What must I do? What good works must I perform? The Jewish faith at that time was based on works, not grace through faith. And Jesus calls him up short. And he said unto him, Why callest me good? The man addressed him as good master. Jesus says, Why do you call me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Jesus is going to work at piquing this man's interest and expanding his vision of God. 
he's going to try to reveal himself to this man as God. But the man doesn't take the bait. Why do you call me good? There's none good. That is, there's only one good, and that's God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And the man said unto him, Which? And Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus runs through the second half of the Ten Commandments. And he covers those commandments which deal with our relationships with our fellow man. What he doesn't direct the man to do is the first three commandments. When Moses took those tablets down from Mount Sinai, the first tablet had the first three commandments written on them. And those are all about our relationship with God. Those first three commandments deal with our relationship with the Lord God Himself. The rest deal with our relationships with other people. Jesus says, follow the commandments. And man says, which ones? And Jesus told him, do all of these. Watch your relationship with your fellow man. Whether it be your parents, whether it be your neighbor, whether it be the attitudes of your heart, anger and wrath leading to murder or mayhem, if you will. So Jesus quotes all of those commandments that say, this is how you should treat your neighbors, your fellow man, the people around you, your family. And the young man said unto him in verse 20, all these things have I kept from my youth. From my youth up, what lack I yet? Now this is a very telling phrase. What do I still lack? What you're lacking is the first three commandments. Jesus continues though, because what this young man is seeking is that he's been doing all the right things as far as his fellow man goes ever since he was a child from his youth up. And yet he has this instinctive awareness that he's still missing something. There still must be something more I can do. Another good work. Another kind deed. Something to accommodate in my schedule every day. Lord, what do I lack? It shows us something. That you can keep the commandments 
You can keep all the commandments and still not be guaranteed eternal life. You can believe them. You can follow them. But eternal life is not yours just because you follow the commandments. It makes you a good person. It makes you honest in your business affairs. It makes you faithful to your wife or your husband. It makes you a good person. Someone that people want to be around. Because people use other people as examples on how to live. Look at that. I wish I could live like that guy. He follows all the commandments. Well, it makes for an easy life. Not that we don't have to make some hard choices. But it makes for an easy life when we're successful at keeping all the commandments. But what does Paul say in, in the New Testament and his epistles? He said, the law is against us. The law is against us because it's against our nature because within our nature is our own sin nature, our own desire to fall into sin, to engage in that. It's part of our sin nature inherited from Adam. In chapter 5 of Genesis, it tells us that Adam was made in God's image, holy and perfect and pure. And his third named son, Seth, was made in Adam's, at that time, fallen image. That's what we inherited. We inherited that fallen image when we are self-absorbed, when we are self-oriented, when we think of ourselves first rather than people that are right in front of us. So the young man said, all these things have I kept from my youth, from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him in verse 21, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Come follow me. Have respect unto God. Follow God. That's what Jesus is trying to reveal to this young man, this rich young ruler. He's, he's got everything he needs. He's a good guy. He's a religious man. He follows the commandments, and yet he knows that something is missing in his life. He has no peace about that missing peace. Go and sell everything that you've got. Give it away to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven. Strip away all of those things that we strive for in this life. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in God. 
and pray. Pray that you're not like Ananias and his wife Sapphira who held back some of their possessions. They kept them from the poor. It's as though they wanted a little safety net in case things went downhill following Jesus and his ministry. But even if, even if your life isn't perfect when you're following Jesus, do you desire that safety net or you, do you desire more of Jesus? Because he's the only one that can save us. Our possessions won't save us. Our following the commandments won't save us. Our friends that think that we're just a really good guy, they won't save us. They can't. The only one that saves is the Creator Himself, Jesus Christ. Him and Him alone. When this young man asked, by, asked about eternal life, he's not really asking about longevity. He's asking about the quality of life. I've got all these things and I still don't have a piece about my eternal destiny. I've got a good reputation. I've got a good job. I've got money in the bank, stores in the barns, whatever I've got. And boy, I'm still troubled. Am I doing enough? What do I lack? Jesus said, give all that stuff away. All that stuff that you think is security for you. He said, give it away. The implication being that Jesus is our only true source of security for eternity. Jesus and Jesus alone. You've got plenty of treasures built up for this world. But when you die, who's going to use it? Who's going to inherit it? And if they inherit it, are they going to cherish it as much as you did? Are they going to enjoy the same level of security as you? Which leaves them also with that little missing piece of what more do they need to do? Give it all away. Give it to the poor. Now shall have treasure in heaven because you're thinking of other people that are less well off than you. You're thinking of other people. You're becoming other oriented like Adam and Eve were towards one another in that very first chapter and the second chapter. It becomes important that we think of others. And we're not so self-oriented all the time. Give all of those things that give you earthly security away and you shall have treasure in heaven as you bless others. 
And when you've done that, come follow me. A life of service. A life of giving. A life of healing. A life of understanding the Word of the Father. And come and follow me, Jesus says. In verse 22, it says, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What must I do to gain eternal life? And once he was told what he should do, he said, well, that can't be right. How am I going to be happy for the rest of my life? I've got all this stuff. I've got all this stuff. His barns are overflowing. He's thinking he's going to build more barns probably. But he knows that's not the answer. That, that's part of that missing piece. That missing piece of peace of heart, peace of mind for our eternal destiny. The man turned away sorrowful because he had great possessions, and he went away. He turned his back on Jesus and walked away. So much for thinking that Jesus is a good master because this young man's value system is far different from God's value system. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven It's with difficulty that rich men enter into heaven. Great difficulty. Because following Jesus costs us everything in the world. Following Jesus can cost us friends, family. It can cost us jobs. It can cost us acquaintances. It can cost us our reputation. People might think we're a whack job. They might think that we're a Jesus freak. But there is no more important person in our lives and in our hearts than the Lord Jesus Christ. It can cost us children, it can cost us our parents. It can cost us all those relationships. But what we gain is eternal life. And that's a true quality of life where peace reigns in our hearts and there's no more missing pieces to what we think we need to do.
Verily I say to you, unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. He will barely make it in. Unless he adjusts his value system to align with God's value system. In Luke chapter 16, we have the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. There was a certain rich man in verse 19 of Luke 16. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in, and in hell, literally in the grave, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that me he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Moses refers to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and then all the prophets. Let your five brothers listen to them and learn, because all of the Old Testament, the prophets and Moses, they all speak of a coming Savior, Jesus Christ. Let them hear, let your brothers hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Really? Lazarus was raised from the dead during the time of Jesus. Jesus himself was raised from the dead. And 
they rejected him and plotted against Lazarus. You see, this man has a wrong perception. Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they would repent. No, they wouldn't. They need to be born again. They need to have that new heart that Jesus puts in our chests. A heart of love. A heart towards others. A heart towards Jesus. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. If they're not listening to Moses already, if they're not reading the prophets already, then seeing Jesus walk out of the grave alive afterwards is not going to convince them that they need something more. They need that missing piece of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That a rich man shall hardly enter in the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. This refers to the gates of heaven. It refers to the walled city of Jerusalem. On the front of your bulletin, you'll see the picture of the Damascus Gate. It is shut except the eye of the needle is open for people to enter into. That people-sized door is the eye of the needle that Jesus is referring to, and all of the people in Jerusalem would relate to that because they've all used that eye of the needle, that little people-sized door that is still open when the main gates are shut. The gates are open during the day for trade, for camels, for beasts of burden to enter into the city, for commerce. But at night, to protect from marauders, they close the main gates and only that eye of the needle is available for, to transition into the city. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Because once we get into the kingdom of God, we have treasures awaiting us. We cannot bring anything from this life with us. When the disciples heard it, They were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? By the teachings of Judaism, they believed that if you're wealthy and healthy and wise, that you must be a really good guy and God's going to want you in. 
Well, healthy, wealthy, and wise means that you have followed the second half of the Ten Commandments. You'll have a good reputation. People will think you're a good guy. You live a good life. You're faithful to your wife. You don't cheat people in business. You're not envious of others. You may even be generous towards others. But human generosity is usually motivated by some kind of a payback. If I do this, they're going to treat me even better. That's the heart of the unregenerate man. The man that's not born again. If you know any atheists, they can be really good people. They don't believe in God. But they fit into society perfectly. They fit into the culture in which they live perfectly. They can be good people too. But heaven, heaven's gate will be withheld from them. So the disciples are amazed in verse 25 and says, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, Well, with men this is impossible. You cannot save yourself. There is nothing you can do to make yourself worthy of the kingdom of heaven. In the Old Testament, we read that even our best good works are like filthy rags to the Lord God. Even our best good works. I think of all the, the good that churches do. I hear about all the good that certain individuals do in the name of God. I think of their good reputations. But unless they have chosen to follow Jesus, they will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Earlier on in, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is teaching in verse 21 of Matthew 7. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, that's Jesus on the judgment seat, many will say unto me in that day, that day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, Jesus says, but I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. You're doing all these things in the name of God because you want a good reputation. You have your reward but heaven is not yours. Heaven is not for you. 
You did all these good things, but you never gave me your heart. You performed all these good works. You participated in the miracles. You took the example of the ministry and you tried to do it all yourself. But yourself can't save you. Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. What a hope we have by putting our faith in God rather than in man. In Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, it is better to trust God than trust, put your trust in man. It is better to trust in God than to put your trust in princes and kings. That's where our faith belongs, in Him, not in other men, not in governors and kings and presidents. Not in prime ministers. Not in dictators. They're all just men. And their good works will die when they die. Unfortunately, when we talk about dictators and tyrants, their bad works will also die with them. That's a good thing because it releases the slaves and those that have been treated as slaves by a domineering government. But who's coming in next? Are you going to put your trust in that next person? What if, they, what if they get a taste of power and they change instead of, and instead of being a benevolent leader, they are a malevolent leader? Men are too fickle to be trusted with your eternal life. Only Jesus is the one that we can trust. He alone. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He can even get you into heaven. Sinners saved by grace. He even can get us into heaven. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, wait a minute. We have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? See, Peter's still thinking about himself a little bit here. He understands that he has forsaken all things and followed Jesus, but he's still thinking about, okay, so what, what's waiting for us in your kingdom? What's waiting for me in your kingdom? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration, that 
regeneration of a new heart. That regeneration of being born again. That regeneration of having your values aligned with God's. When the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of His glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Wow. Maybe Peter's thinking, wow, what an honor. <laughs> Skeptics like me think, you mean you're going to have you're going to put me to work, God? You're going to put me to work judging others? Judging the 12 tribes of Israel? Am I really worthy of that? And Jesus would say, if you have followed me, you're worthy of that. You which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and every one that hath forsaken house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many are that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. This puts a whole different connotation on this teaching of the eye of the needle and that poor camel that can't get in. How would a camel go through that eye of the needle? First of all, he would have to be unloaded and unburdened by the cargo that he carries. And if you've ever seen a, can, a camel from the front or the back, I suggest the front, you're looking at a wide-bodied jet standing on four pegs, four skinny legs with knobby knees. In order for that wide-bodied jet to go through the eye of the needle, all of its ribs would have to be breaking, broke, broken. It'd have to break every one of them so that the width of him is the width of a man. And then you'd have to get that camel down on his knees, humbled. And you'd have to entice him to walk through in that humbled state, changed from his original configuration and humbled enough to walk through the gate. That's us. That's us. We need to fit God's configuration. We need to be in His image again to get through the gate of heaven. 
And we need to be humbled and on our knees to do it. The Lord has plans for each of us. The Lord has good plans for each of us. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. That's God's expected end for us. That's His desires for us. The things in this life are fleeting. Earthly things are made for earth. Heavenly things are made for heaven. You have to decide which one you are. Are you a person created in God's image? Then let Him mold you and shape you. As Paul writes in verse 6 of of the book of Philippians, being convinced of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He starts the work. He performs the work. He completes the work. It's like hiring a contractor. Will you give him the key to the house so that he can get in? Will you give him the key to your heart so that he can work? Let him work. Let him transform you into what he desired originally in Adam and Eve. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this timely message. In a day when our country is divided about about what we should do and what kind of leadership we want, the focus is on Washington, the focus is on London and Paris and Buenos Aires and Brasilia, The focus is on Afghanistan and China. Lord, your scriptures tell us that the stars will be rolled up, the heavens will be rolled up like a scroll, and earth shall burn away. And you have in store for us a new heaven and a new earth come down from heaven. Lord, that's that's what we want. That's what we desire. Help us to set our minds away from the things of this earth and be heavenly minded. Help us to ignore the media, the press, which wants to guide our thoughts one way to the left or to the right. Help us to keep our eyes only, solely on You, Lord. We thank You for this message. We acknowledge that there are the haves and the have-nots in this world. Lord, and the thing that most people have not is that love for You. That love for You that will lead to eternity. Let that be the missing piece of the puzzle. Let that be the missing piece of our peace, our peace of heart, our peace of mind, an assurance of what you have in store for us when we follow you. 
Thank you again for this message, Lord. We ask that you be blessed and honored. And Lord, may it go out to the four corners of the earth today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. From Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. Enjoy the weather. It's pretty bright out right now. We're looking forward to some rain and storms later. Enjoy the storms. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. To access the list of teachings or to check the archives for Pastor Bob's weekly observations column, log on to whitestonecf.com. There you can also check the weekly schedule and any upcoming events. To contact us or to drop a note to Pastor Bob, you can email us at whitestonecf at gmail.com or call us at 585-924-8820. Whitestone Christian Fellowship is a non-denominational congregation. Every Sunday, Pastor Bob walks us through the Bible, teaching line upon line and verse by verse. And we're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. And if you're in the area, we invite you to visit us. From upstate New York, Pastor Bob encourages all of us to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our victor. Stay close to him.